0: Warney was an all time great, a once in a century type cricketer, and his records will live on forever. Ah!
2: Shane had this presence about him when, if he walked into a room, he
0: didn't even even need to say a word he knew he was in the room. He's the best I've ever seen. So many guys in this team and squad who, you know, still hold him as a hero. Their all-time favourite player.
1: Got him! That's what Shane Warne. What a wicket that is. He's really teed him up. And he has struck just before lunch.
0: There will be a technical term for this, lads, but I will call it Fizz. When he let go of that ball, it used to fizz, you could hear it. Look there, and he's got him again with
2: it. One point in all of that, he was just the most wonderful human being. He did so much for the people that he loved and cared about, and he deeply missed.
0: First
1: ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Ward. And he's done it. He started off with
3: the most beautiful delivery. An amazing sort of cricketer who, uh, you know,
1: so sad to lose so early. <laughs>
2: Shane Warne was out of the Melbourne suburbs, a devoted fan of the St Kilda AFL team and a darn good player of Aussie rules himself. But cricket's luck was that he wasn't quite good enough to turn professional. And so disappointed at the news he wouldn't have a life in the game that was his first love, he turned to his second love, cricket. At first there were nerves and chubbiness, then came wild soaring leg breaks, followed by fame and by flippers. For a long while there was women, there was bookmakers, there were diet pills, there were more women and there were headlines. Always with Warney, there were headlines and this the man who in 2000 was rated amongst the five greatest cricketers of the 20th century. When Warney likened his life to a soap opera he was selling himself short. The story is part fairy tale, part pantomime, part Hospital drama, part adults-only romp, part glittering award ceremony. He took a Test match hat-trick, won the Man of the Match prize in a World Cup final, and was the subject of many, many books. He was also the first cricketer to reach 700 Test match wickets. By the way, he swatted more runs than any other Test player without making a 100, and was possibly the wiliest captain that Australia never had. The facts are 145 test matches, 708 wickets at 25. In one-day internationals, 194 games, 293 wickets at an average of 25. He won the IPL at the first attempt in 2008, a bit of a ragtag bunch, the Rajasthan Royals, but no, he led them to the title. He was Hampshire captain and missed out on the county championship by half a point in a weird year of how they calculated those things. He turned two World Cup semi-finals on their head, brilliance. Of his leg spin winning the day for the Australians, he made 3,154 runs, the most ever in Test match cricket, without making a hundred. And as I say, he was one of the five cricketers of the century. With me today, Jared Kimber, Alex Tudor's over there too. He may join in, and Darren Goff. This was an extraordinary cricketer, Goffy. We talked about the man yesterday, and and the personality and the character. Today we're talking about the cricketer. Of all those you played against, could anybody influence a match in the way that he did?
3: Um, well, there was a few. Um, um, I mean, you look at some of the greats, the Sachin Tendulkar, the Brian Lara, the Jacques Callis, the Ponte the Steve Waugh, but there's only one Shane Warne. He was the king and he was the king for a reason. When you played against him or when you turned up, you were fascinated just to see Shane Warne walk out. That strut he had walking out to the middle, that smile he had, that energy he had, that made you feel welcome as though you were one of his mates. But he was reeling you in, reeling you in, because when you come out the back, guess what? That's another one. That's uh, 520, uh, 521, 522. It was that easy for him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was an absolute genius at what he did.
2: And did he have the wood on England at the time, would you say, mentally? Yes, of course he did.
3: Um, Glenn McGrath many, many times used to knock Atherton over for fun, and knock me over for fun as well, but I was coming in down the order. But when it comes down to it, the only thing that separated, not the only thing, but the biggest thing that separated England to Australia was Shane Warne. We didn't have a spinner of that calibre. When you look about some of the greats around the game and you you get to that second innings, McGrath knocked you over in the first innings if Shane Warne didn't get a ball. But guess what? Come the second innings, Shane Warne would have got four or five in the bag before you even walked out there. And he did it on numerous, numerous occasions against us. No disrespect to the ones we had. We had either a Solfee or a Croft or a Schofield or a Giles. I mean, they had Shane Warne, the greatest that's ever been.
2: You've made that sound very unfair and very uneven. Uh, We're going to wind the clock back to 1993. He'd never bowled in a Test match in England. It was a cold day at Old Trafford when he was throwing the ball by Alan Border, and it had the ultimate impact.
1: First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Ward. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery well, that has turned
2: about two and a half feet Gadding can't believe his eyes what a start for Shane Warne
3: that was a decent bowl bowled by a decent bowler and, and I'm very you know you, you can only accept that they were part of history for that he, he couldn't have bowled it in a better place um, and of course, because it was going down the leg side, I thought, well, that's great, nice little to see what's happening. So, you know, it did, it turned, Ian Healy was down the leg side. Yeah. And it, the reason I stood there in amazement was because you didn't hear the ball hit the stumps because it didn't. It just flicked the bail off. It not only pitched in the right place, but Bounce it just two. flicked the bail yeah. off. And you didn't hear a thing apart from uh, after a little while,
2: about uh, two or three seconds, Ian Healy offering me to leave the <laughs> crease in no uncertain terms. <laughs> Uh, he certainly revived leg spin. Um, Gat always used to say, <laughs> it got past me and I'm quite wide. Um, but he certainly revived leg spin, which was thought to be extinct at the time. And, and leg spin almost became preeminent. In fact, in, in the short form of the game these days, it's essential in any of the franchise formats certainly to have a, a leg spinner. But Jared Kimber, was you were a young leg spinner playing in Melbourne yourself as a boy at school when Warren made that, that first well dramatic entrance.
0: Yeah, I came from Victoria and Melbourne, the same as he did. And when I played, it was everyone wanted to be Merv Hughes or Tony Dottermaid, Paul Rifle. There were all these seamers that came through, you know, uh, Melbourne cricket, and that's what everyone wanted to be. And I was the only leg spinner in my competition, not in my team. Like in our competition, that was in 90, 91, 92. By ninety four, I was playing in teams with four leg spinners in them. It was absolutely ridiculous. Anyone was picking up the ball and there were just kids in the nets who they'd come in a couple of times and they'd rag it sideways. Suddenly they would be playing in their team's firsts and everyone was talking about it. It was such a different world to be in. It was like cricket existed in two different places. And we'd had leg spin in Australia before, but really Richie Benno was the last player and he was now a senior person in the commentary box. It, it had completely disappeared from Australia. And you might remember this, Mark, you know, in your trips back to Australia. Abdul Qadir and Mushak Ahmed were revered in Australia. And they were almost forgotten overnight when Warren came out. It completely changed the way that cricket was played in Australia. So you've had a crack at it at a very amateur level. What's the hardest
2: thing about bowling a leg break? landing it there you go (laughs) and he landed it more
0: accurately than any other spinner ever look the the thing for for all of us and you know there were thousands of us who tried to do the same thing after him was you could land the ball in the right spot occasionally and you could spin the ball occasionally the ability to do both and if you the best person to judge him on is Stuart McGill because Stuart McGill was a magnificent leg spinner Stuart McGill would bowl half trackers all the time he'd bowl waist high full tosses the ball would get away from him Warren just didn't do that. It was so consistent. It, it, was, it was incredible. OK, we're going to wind the clock back again. We're going
2: to go to Darren Goff's first tour of Australia, 94-5, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, the Boxing Day Test, and a famous performance. Warren continuing.
1: Oh, oh and they hit the pad. Yes, he's got him. That's out. LBW. That hit the pad, and that is the end of Freitas. Oh, and that's out. Caught behind. Yes, he's got him. Fastball. Bowled by Warn. Got just pushing forward. A faint little touch there. It danced a little bit. May have been off the glove or
0: catch high on the back. But that is the end of God. Two wickets and two balls well bowled. So Shane Warn is now on a hat trick. There we go. Fleming took the last one. Merv used before him.
2: Superb commentary on a superb piece of cricketing action. Darren Goff pushed forward and gloved it.
3: It did. The most surprising thing about that is I was trying to defend it. Um, during those early doors of my cricket, it was, and I said to you once, didn't I, fasten your seatbelts. I used to go in and just peg up. But Daffy got done by a flipper. Uh, which absolutely did him every time. I'm Daffy didn't have a clue when that was coming. Similar to Stewie. Stewie used to get done with the old flipper as well, go on the back foot to pull it. Oh, oh, oh dear. Um, and then with me, I got the leg spinner, um, where I pushed forward, it bounced and caught the glove. And then I think he told Devin, didn't he, he was going to bowl him the Google uh, with Booney there at short leg, and he did, um, and he got caught short leg. And it was a great moment on your own ground. To get a, a test so, hat trick, so it's amazing.
2: Ta- ta- talk to us about walking out the bat and taking guard with all the fielders around the, the bat noise, at amazing. the Melbourne Cricket Ground, full to the rafters, baying for blood, worn about to bowl at you. What is it, what, you know, what what goes on in your head?
3: Well, nothing going on in my head at that stage <laughs> of my career because for me, I was just living the dream. I was living the dream. I was going out to bat in front of 100,000 people at Melbourne, playing for England against Australia. I had no fear whatsoever. I, I felt invincible. I really did, Mark. And, and you know that. You saw me on that tour. I had total confidence that I was going to go in and smash him everywhere. That was my mentality back then. Um, it soon changed two years later. So, so I was, you used to, didn't I was get a nervous the, wreck every time I went out to bat. You didn't get
2: the aura then, the worn aura?
3: Oh, no, I I loved the fact that I was going out and facing... That That made it even better. I was going out and playing against Shane Warne um, on his own ground, and he loved being here. And I also, the character I am, I love being out there facing him. I wanted to be in those moments, those big, big moments. But the noise, when he's at the end of his mark, he just lived for it, didn't he? He, he absolutely lived for that noise. And the, and when he got me out, obviously I was distraught. And But one thing you do know when you're out... You do switch off and you, you the noise is incredible. And it's his own ground. And he is they loved him, absolutely loved him, didn't they, in Melbourne? But and as you're did, walking yeah. off, Devon obviously passed me. And uh I didn't say much to him, to be <laughs> fair. There's nothing much you can say to Dev. Um, um, and I went out and then, and then I heard it when I was taking off his pads. But he got the hat-trick, which is iconic moment, isn't it? Mm.
2: Now, you mentioned the flipper. We have to bring up the South African batsman, Darrell Cullen, who had a lifetime in fear of that exact ball. Let's listen.
1: Flipper, and he's got him again with it. So uh, he's pulled one for four, but missed the second one. And I think you can guarantee that Shane Lorne has out caught him there, Show him the obvious flipper, let him pull it for four, and then slip the other one in. And it was through him, it was was candy from kids.
2: Right, well I wrote a a piece when Shane left us on Crick Info about an extraordinary week when I stayed with him in Melbourne when he was banned for taking a diuretic pill. Uh, He had a year out of the game, but uh, that didn't stop him practising, as it turned out, uh, by breaking cricket's law for I mean, he was supposed to be banned from all forms of cricket, even club cricket. He wasn't allowed on a club cricket ground. But he convinced a fella to open an indoor school on the outskirts of the city at six in the morning. And he'd bowl for an hour on his own there from six till seven. And I was staying with him. And he said, why don't you come and have a hit? I said, all right. So I went and batted against Shane Warne. And this is what I wrote. The first thing that struck me was the aura, even at the start of his 8 pace shuffle and approach. I remember the rhythm of that approach, the power of that delivery stride and the symmetry in the action. I remember the flight of the ball and the hardness as it hit the bat or the body. They say some seamers bowl a heavy ball. Well, let me tell you, so did Shane Warne. I remember the revolutions, the the high bounce off the hard synthetic surface and the need to react quickly and definitively. I was surprised at how fast he bowled and how hard it hit the bat and how when he bowled up above the eye line, the ball dipped at the last second and how you panicked in response. It didn't so much spin off that surface, so I asked him if it was like bowling at the whacker. He said, no, not really. The ball skids at the whacker pitch, so it's easier to bat against me there, but in here, Marky, the bounce will get you. The ball hit the splice a lot, and it sent a fizzing sensation up the handle and into the bottom hand, so I adapted at each session by playing softer and softer later and later. I found it very difficult to get down the pitch and meet the ball as it landed, and so I persuaded myself to play back more. It occurred to me that a better player would manage the shimmy down the pitch with more skill and faster footwork, and that the good sweepers would have to take him on in the way that Kevin Peterson managed so successfully on occasions. He hit the pad so often it was a joke, that slider he bowled. He even tried a few flippers, the stuff of gold, but no wrong that's googly's, because of his shoulder. But on the second morning I goaded him into bowling a wrong-un and he winced in pain and I saw what he went through. I mainly blocked against him because there were so few bad balls. I occasionally slogged over wide mid-on, and I cut it to backward point a bit. There were one or two drives straight and through mid-offs. They were highlights. This was a kingdom of days for me. Warren and Nicholas cutting it as the dawn broke in his hometown. Jared, um, uh, th- th- this whole business about Warn's mystery... Uh, You made a point to me that I want to pick you up on. We were talking earlier about
0: him, and you said he used television so well. Yeah, there was was a... All the heroes before that were pace bowlers because of the West Indies, right? So there was that whole from Tomo all the way through to the West Indies. He had a pause at the top of his mark that was just longer than anyone else. The camera was on him for so much more. When he would go down to, you know put the dirt on his hands like as you know mark that was what uh, russell crowe did in gladiator that was a homage to shane warne so it was, shane warne was so cinematic that in one of the best you know biggest movies of all time there's a shane warne moment in it and i know russell crowe has that cricket you know relationship and everything but uh, you can't not see him and i think that there was more cinema in what he did and the fact that Everyone was watching him. He was the first bowler for all the super slow-mos and all that. You must have done a million masterclasses in your life on every single delivery, even the made-up ones that we all know didn't really exist. He had about eight different names for straight ones. Everything was on TV, and there was the drama and the staring and the way he made the batter feel in a different way. And I just don't think it existed on that sort of center stage before Shane Moore. You mentioned Alex Tudor to me.
2: Uh, that he got you out for fun? I mean, like every time you played against him or something. Yeah, pretty much.
3: I think Gerald's told me he's got me out three times, which, you know, he used to just get me on the pads. He used to drag me across the stumps and then he used to just bowl that slider and he used to just come and hit me on the pads and I used to just walk off. There was one time, though, where we played at at Chelmsford. We played a one-day game. I had come off a, a big hundred against Derby, so we needed a pinch hitter. I was confident enough. I said, Ronnie, I'll do it. I went out there, went out against Tremlett and Warnie bless him it was he couldn't help himself I'm, he, Tremors bowled me I'm walking back to the pavilion as I'm walking back to the pavilion he just turned to me and went 8 too high for T-bone <laughs> I just went I, I couldn't say anything I was like well fair enough 8,
2: eight too high y- so yes, you're T-bone and 8 is too high in the batting as order. as in
3: and 8 too so high I should have been at 11 you. literally yeah. <laughs> ok all right. <laughs> That's what it, you were saying. He only did him three times. How many times did he do me, Jared? Uh, seven in test cricket <laughs> and nine altogether. And he, guess what? Exactly the same way. He used to throw a couple up outside leg stu- uh, outside the off stump, big turners, and then I'd go across my stumps. He'd ball the straight one. He didn't turn. Out LBW every single time. And so I, I made up my mind one time. I said, okay, I know exactly how he's going to set me up. I'm just going to sweep him. So I went in, Edgbaston, um, he put a man out um, on, on the square. He had two sweep men. Guess what? He lobbed it right up there, and it was a short boundary at Edgbaston. I swept it, middled it, and went straight down the throat of the man there at, um, on the sweep. So he used to do me for an absolutely laugh every time. He knew it was a walking wicket, and, and, and that's what I love about it. And to this, honestly, he is an absolute diamond. And he knew he was going to get me out, but I knew I was going to get him out. And okay. I did it on numerous occasions.
2: All right, I want to read you a passage from his autobiography, No Spin, a book that I wrote with him. The art of leg spin is creating something that is not really there. It's a magic trick surrounded by mystery and aura. What's coming and how will it get there? At what speed, trajectory and with what sound? How much flight, swerve, dip and spin and which way? Where will it land and what will happen? There's no bowler in the history of the game that a decent batsman couldn't pick if he watched the hand, so a leg spinner must unsettle that batsman in a different way. Every leg spinner gives the batsman a clue, some just disguise it better than others. Leg spinners cannot create physical fear in the way fast bowlers can, so leg spinners look to confuse and deceive. There is, however, an intimidation factor in leg spin that comes from the batsman's ignorance and his fear of embarrassment. Few batsmen, if any, truly know what I do, so to maintain that mystery, I look to develop an atmosphere of uncertainty and, if possible, to create chaos. It's all about being in control, about winning the psychological battle. And I very well remember those mornings batting against him, the level of skill in what he did and the power with which he did it. I saw it firsthand how the 10,000-hour theory rolled out. He was astonishingly gifted at something extremely difficult, and he knew it. He practised relentlessly to perfect it, and he rejoiced in taking it to the world. Have a listen to Michael Slater commentating when Shane Warne takes Andrew Strauss's wicket in the 2005 Ashes.
3: Bowed him! How about that? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant from Shane Warne.
2: He's made a few batsmen look a bit foolish over the years, and there's no disgrace in Andrew Strauss looking a bit foolish, but he did here. Well, the thing there, Jared, is that Michael Slater is laughing at the genius. He's not laughing at Andrew Strauss at all.
0: He's laughing. That ball spun so far. It's ridiculous. I was talking to you about this before. In 1993, you watch Gat. Gat does not know that that ball is going to spin back. He understands it might come into his pads. By that point, every close-up, super slow motion footage from the front of the hand, from the side of the hand, we had had more footage of Shane Warne's hand than we saw probably of, you know, past legends, entire careers. We knew everything we needed to know about Shane Warne at that point. Andrew Strauss would have planned for him. He would have played him from a a younger age. He was a very good player at that point. And yet still... When he does that, Andrew Strauss has the same face that Mike Ganning had. That utter confusion at how the ball could start there and end up behind him. And it goes in front of his legs, if you remember. It just spins so brutally there. And that, for me, it's the fact that over 12 years, in the harshest possible public light, he still remained that mystery, is just beyond belief for me. Uh, Goffey, um, I'm sparing your blushes. Uh, You know,
2: the power of personality... There have been very, I mean, Ian Botham had it. I think Dennis Lilly, Viv Richards, and to a degree, you certainly had it too. But Shane Warne, almost above all others, seemed to win moments simply through his own persuasion.
3: Absolutely. I think uh, Viv Richards definitely had it. Um, but as personalities go, Shane Warne. And I think Jared has a great point. I think because he was a spinner and he was stood so close to everyone, he was right there next to the umpire and he always had that delay. Sometimes the tongue came out uh, when he bowled it. And he did that little flip, didn't he, before he bowled. And that strut, that, that, that run-up, which we've all copied. When I've bowled leg spin, I've got a shame-worn run-up. And in fact, most people around the world, whether you're in Sri Lanka, in India, in Pakistan, think they are shame-worn, right? So that's the power of the personality. What he brought to cricket is, and, and rightly so, he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest cricketers of all time. And that will be forever and ever and ever. Because that personality got him those 700 wickets as well as the skill of being able to land a leg spin, one of the most difficult deliveries to ball on earth, and land it on a consistently at speed. When you face Shane Warne, you can face some of the fastest bowlers in the world and you have that fear, but they're going to hit you on the head, right? Everybody has that fear when you're going against quick bowling. With Shane Warne, it's, where am I going to get a run? <laughs> Where am I going to get a run? He drifts it into you at a good speed and then turns out of the rough, especially in the second innings. If there's one time you're in a first shame one, it's on the first day of a test match just after lunch. Other than that, you know he's going to wear you down and get you out at some point. He bowls the overs, he takes home the prize. Simple as that. Warning you, if he bowled 20 overs, 25 overs, he was taking home the prize at the end of the day. Simple as that.
2: And in the days before DRS, he he was the first to 700 wickets. He took 708 in all. The 700th came at the Melbourne Cricket Ground on England's tour in 2006-7. It was a cold, cold morning. started at like 11 degrees. There was some sleet. Play was delayed. Australia were out in the field and the moment came, you know, when he took off his jumper and he was throwing the ball in the anticipation of a huge, huge crowd on this piece of turf that was so very much his own. Wicket number 700, Melbourne, the Boxing Day Test.
3: Got him! There it is! Wicket number 700, and they can't catch him! Shane Warne, through the gate, has got Strauss.
2: In, in Australia, it, it, you know, there's a tall poppy syndrome, but it very rarely applied to Warren when it came to the playing of crick- cricket
0: he was revered yeah i think it's really interesting to look at australia australia basically went from a very working class country to a very middle class country in that period that he was great and there was a lot of cultural cringe you, you would know this about michael clark was he was seen as trying to be above his station Warren was just accepted for being worn flaws and all obviously you know warm was in on the joke um and I think, you know, especially in Victoria and Melbourne itself, that, you know, he, was, he became the king. And he, I mean, Dean Jones is still absolutely thought of as this huge figure. And to have Warren come on the back of that and be so much bigger in Melbourne, uh, it was just a, it was a phenomenal thing. And you're talking about a football town. You know, you know we, we, we talk about cricket as being a major sport in, in Australia. But in Melbourne, it's an it's a Aussie rules football town. And they've just named a stand after Shane Warne because there's no footballer that gets close to what Shane Warne did for Melbourne um, in, in that thing. It's just a completely different level. Yeah, there's a stand at uh, the GS Bowl, uh, the Shane Warne stand.
2: Um, he was captain there for four years. Uh, and now there's going to be a stand at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, though rather irritatingly, they seem to be wanting to call it the SK Warne stand. Uh, and I don't. it doesn't sound right. It doesn't have a ring to it. It should be the Shane Warne stand, surely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't really understand the thought behind that. But you would have seen the statue there. There's two great statues around the MCG. There's one of uh, Keith Miller. Keith Miller looks like he's a superhero bowling. Um, And the other one is Shane Warne. Uh, Just I I think Keith Miller and Shane Warne uh, in different eras just completely transcended cricket and celebrity in a way that other people just don't do. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June
2: Right. Let's look about uh, t- talk about those five cricketers of the century. When uh, when he died, uh, I heard Geoffrey Boycott on one of the news channels, and he said there's three for me: um, Bradman, Sobers, and Warn. They're the three I put apart from everybody else for their genius, for their ability to turn matches, for their entertainment. Um, and we have to add in uh, Jack Hobbs. And um, oh, I've had a blank. Who was the other one? I know full well. They were all knighted, weren't they? Sobers, Brad, Viv Richards was the other one. So the, the the five cricketers of the century were Jack Hobbs, Don Bradman, Gary Sobers, Viv Richards, and Shane Warne. Um, they all have greatness in the way they played the game. They all have extraordinary power of personality. But they all have general appeal. They say that you could listen to Jack Hobbs bat so clean did he did he hit the ball even on the most difficult pitches they say that Bradman's ability to 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 simply steamroll the opposition Viv's ability to destroy the opposition with the power of his stroke stroke play and and Warn's ability uh, to turn matches with the power of his personality it's incredible that Shane Warne is amongst the five greatest cricketers of the 20th century but it isn't a surprise is it
3: no, it isn't. I think th- I'm aged 52, same as Warnie, I'm 52 in September. So um, I think when I look back, is, but you've always got to respect the history of the game and Jacobs and Bradman and Sobers will be remembered forever. And, but I never saw them. And I think the two that stick out for me, obviously, are Viv Richards and Shane Warne. Um, I was lucky enough to play against them both. Um, and as far as I'm, uh, as I'm concerned, they are two genius uh, cricketers who both helped transform the game of cricket in what it is today. Viv was way ahead of his time as a player. Um, If you look at his strike rating um, when he first started, he's up there with the current players. And I think with Shane Warne, just took the game to another level. Um, The expectancy, the standards of performing day in, day out in test cricket. And he made test cricket sexy. And that's why he's the king.
2: Yeah, that's a nice summary, isn't it? And, and it's reasonable to say that the impact he had on young people um, by making it sexy, if you like, by bringing a bit of rock and roll to it, um, probably
0: hasn't been made by anybody else. I mean, Nike made a big play into cricket, didn't they? And it was Shane Warne that they went after. They'd been involved before. I know they gave Beefy some boots at one stage, but they wanted Shane Warne. There were pictures of Shane Warne with Michael Jordan. They wanted to do that. That's not happening with other cricketers. He, he, was, he was famous on a different level. And, you know, for, for many of, I, I think for many leg spin nerds, he was taken away from cricket fans at a certain point and he becomes this other celebrity. The other thing I want to talk about those five cricketers, though, he was midway through his career when that happened. Like, this isn't, he had another seven years of cricket after that, and we had already decided that the impact that he made on our game was so worthy that he was going to be in these five cricketers of all time. Uh, you know, and Sachin obviously didn't make it, and he went on to play even longer after Shane Warne. But Shane Warne almost had two different careers. That was the career where he was a physical specimen, you, where you could hear the ball hum in the air and the flipper and everything. He then completely reinvents himself, and I'd say he's in almost a better bowler when his arm and his shoulder, don't, you know, yeah. fall down on him.
3: Exactly. And, and some of the cricketers that are off that list, like say, um, Lara, Tendulka, Bortham, um, Hadley. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think about it, really. Um, and that shows the power of being great. To be a real, real great, that list tells you. Because there's some unbelievable players are not on it.
2: Yeah. Thank you, boys. Fascinating. The outpouring since the news of his death has stretched far and wide and is still doing so. The Times of London gave him 14 pages, but he was front cover in Malaysia, too. He was cricket, and in a way he was rock and roll, too. He was the best of sport, and he was the core of aspirational dreams. He fed us the oxygen of the game in the most engaging and fascinating ways. He changed perception, he invited debate, he encouraged enthusiasm, he breathed hope. And he never surrendered. We owe Shane so much. What's the key to being a good leg spinner, Warnie? They used to ask him. A lot of love, he would say. And we send him a lot of love. Shane Warn is a terrible loss.
1: Well, that's it for another edition of Following On. Thanks for listening. And if you ever have any ideas of guests or have questions for the likes of Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, feel free to tweet me at Fulham John or via at Cricket underscore ts and uh, either i or one of the team will make sure that your questions are read out uh, on the show at the earliest convenience also please take the time to leave a review and if you're already a subscriber then tell your mates to do the same and if you want more content from the likes of steve harmson then head over to his youtube channel and tell him i sent you thanks for listening to following on